Section 51 of Stories from the Operas by Gladys Davidson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Russell Newton. Section 51. Wallace's Maritana. Towards the end of the 17th century, when Charles II was reigning in Spain, a wandering tribe of gypsies appeared in the romantic city of Madrid, and every day were to be seen in the streets and public squares, amusing the light-hearted populace with their merry songs and dances. With this tribe there came a beautiful young girl named Maritana, who possessed a voice of wonderful charm and sweetness, and, in a very short time, the enchanting singing and fair looks of the pretty gypsy maiden had won the hearts of all. Every day Maritana sang and danced before delighted crowds, and even the queen, as she drove by with her ladies, would stop her state carriage to listen for a few moments to the pretty Gitana's thrilling voice. Now, when the gay young king of Spain, Charles II, beheld Maritana for the first time, he was so struck with her dazzling beauty that he determined to see her again, and several times he went disguised into the streets of the city, mingling with the crowds that applauded the gypsy maid in order to gain acquaintance with her. On one of these occasions he was seen and recognized, in spite of his disguise, by the chief minister of state, Don José de Santarem, and this wily nobleman, understanding at once that his royal master was infatuated with the charms of the fair Maritana, quickly decided, in order to serve his own ends, to do all in his power to aid the king in his pursuit of the maiden. For a long while Don José had secretly loved the cold and stately queen, whom the pleasure-loving king had already begun to neglect. But so far, all his efforts to gain her favor had proved in vain, for the proud, exalted lady refused even to smile upon him. But the sight of the disguised king paying court to the pretty gypsy gave rise to a sudden scheme in the busy brain of the unscrupulous minister. He would encourage this temporary infatuation, and convert Maritana to the purposes of the king's unrestrained passion, and then, once the queen was persuaded of her husband's faithlessness, might she not be persuaded to look for a lover herself as a means of avenging her wrongs, and that lover should be Don José de Santarém. Fully determined to carry out this base plan, Don José himself went up to Maritana and began to make pretty speeches to her, praising her beauty and lovely voice, and having observed that the disguised king had slipped gold into her hand, he also gave her a piece of money of the same value, and begged her to sing him another song. Delighted at gaining two pieces of gold in one day, Maritana was glad enough to sing, and when the song came to an end, she talked merrily to the minister, telling him that she longed to be a great lady and to live in the dazzling halls, drive in a gilded coach, and wear fine clothes and glittering jewels. Pleased to find that his intended victim had just such longings and ambitions as would serve him in his schemes regarding her, Don José declared that all these things that she desired might indeed be hers, since her own wondrous beauty could easily win them, and he added that if she would trust her fortunes to him, he would quickly make her a great lady. Maritana merely replied that she would gladly accept any such good fortune he might offer her, and then she ran off to sing and dance in another street. No sooner had she gone out of the square than a handsome but dissipated-looking roisterer, whose once gay garments and general appearance showed signs of poverty and riotous living, and yet who preserved a certain dignity and charm of manner, issued forth from a tavern close by, declaring to the bystanders that he had just lost his last coin to gamblers, and Don José, to his surprise, recognized in this shabby yet debonair stranger an old friend of his boyhood's days, Don César de Bazan, a nobleman of inquil rake with himself. He went up at once and renewed acquaintance with him, and Don César, 
who was of a sunny-hearted, careless disposition, related to his old friend the reasons for his present poverty, declaring candidly that gay living and generosity to friends had quickly run through the fine fortune he had inherited, and that, in order to escape from his numerous creditors, he was compelled to travel about from place to place. As it was now some years since he had been in Madrid, he asked if there were any news in the city, and Don José replied, none, except that the king has issued an edict against dueling, declaring that every survivor of a duel shall be shot, unless it take place in Holy Week, when he is to be hanged instead. Now Don Cesar was an expert duelist, and celebrated for the number of his encounters. So on hearing this news, he said with a laugh and shrug of his shoulders, Why then, I must avoid a quarrel, for it is Holy Week now, and it would be a dire dishonor for the last of my race to be hanged. At this moment there was a loud outcry, and a boatman rushed into the square, dragging with him a wretched youth whom he had just rescued from attempting to drown himself, and close upon his heels followed the captain of the guard, into whose hands he was about to deliver the culprit to be brought up for justice. But the poor boy, whose name was Lazarillo, begged wildly to be set free, declaring that a harsh master's ill-treatment had made him long to destroy himself, but that he would make no more attempts if he could be saved from punishment. And on hearing this pitiful story and sad cries, Don Cesar, who had a tender and generous heart, hastened to his assistance and freed him from his captor. The captain of the guard angrily commanded this unexpected champion to instantly deliver the boy up to justice, that he might be punished for his offense. But Don Cesar, indignant at being thus addressed by one whom he deemed his inferior, drew his sword and haughtily declared that he meant to protect the helpless youth. A hot quarrel now ensued, and a few minutes later the two were engaged in a duel, despite Don Jose's repeated warnings about the king's edict and the special penalty of Holy Week. Don Cesar, with a few skillful strokes, easily dispatched his adversary. But before he had time to escape to a place of safety, he was surrounded and captured by the city guards, who quickly bore him off to the prison house. Here he was thrown into a cell, together with the poor youth whose cause he had championed so recklessly, and who now refused to leave him. And having thus flagrantly gone against the king's edict, he was immediately condemned to death, and sentenced to be hanged next morning at seven o'clock. Now Don José de Santarem, instead of being grieved at the terrible misfortune that had befallen the friend of his boyhood, at first cared naught about the matter, and then, suddenly seeing in this very incident a means of helping his own evil schemes, he determined to make a strange offer to the doomed man. If only he could wed the beautiful Gitana to Don César de Bazan within the next few hours, all his plans would go well, for as the widow of a grandee of Spain, Maratana would be entitled to a high position at court and thus be brought into daily contact with the king, who would then be constantly under the spell of her fascinating beauty. Having carefully laid his plans with great cunning, the wily minister repaired to the prison house at five o'clock next morning, and armed with all authority as the king's chief minister, he made his way to the count's cell and entered. He found Don Cesar already awake and talking cheerfully to the young Lazarillo in his usual gay and careless manner, quite regardless of his quickly approaching end. And hurrying forward, he greeted him pleasantly, saying he had come to serve him. Don Cesar replied merrily that there was little in which a dying man could be served, but he added that he should be glad if the minister would take the boy Lazarillo into his service, as he felt an interest in his fate. Don José readily agreed to this, and next he cunningly asked if the Count were satisfied to die the death of a dog by hanging, the death meted out to outcasts and low-born rogues. The haughty family pride of Don Cesar was stung by the subtle taunt, for it was galling to him beyond measure to thus bring disgrace upon his ancient name, 
Henny eagerly besought his old friend to entreat the king to grant him the privilege of being shot instead of hanged, as befitted a noble of Spain. Then Don Jose announced that he could quickly obtain him this favor, but only on condition that he married before his execution, and that he asked no questions whatever about his bride, who would be thickly veiled. And Don Cesar, glad to secure a soldier's death even upon such strange terms as these, willingly agreed, and at once retired to a small inner chamber to dress himself in the handsome wedding garments the minister had already ordered to be brought there. He also requested that his guards and executioners might be permitted to join him in his last meal. And Don Jose, delighted at the success of his scheme, at once gave orders for a fine feast to be served immediately, after which he hurried away to find Maritana. Just as he was leaving the prison, a sealed packet was handed to him, and opening it, he found that it was a free pardon for Don Cesar from the king. Knowing that this unexpected circumstance would spoil all his fine plans, the merciless minister determined that the pardon should not arrive at the prison until after the execution, and thrusting the document within the folds of his tunic to be forwarded later, he went on his way. Although still so early in the morning, he soon found Maritana already singing gaily amidst the gypsy camp, and drawing her to one side, he whispered that he had come to offer her a splendid position, a fine house and great riches, on condition that she agreed to be married immediately to a high-born noble of Spain, Don César de Bazan. On hearing that such a brilliant marriage, which more than fulfilled her highest ambitions, was in store for her, Maritana clapped her hands joyfully. For though she had seen the capture of Don César the day before, and had even pleaded for his release, she had not heard his name spoken, and knew naught of his death sentence. But when Don José added that for certain state reasons he could not explain to her, she must go through the ceremony thickly veiled and not behold her bridegroom until some days afterwards, she grew suspicious and said she did not like such mystery. Then the cunning minister, to relieve her fear, said that it was the express command of the queen that she should go through this ceremony and obey all his directions, however strange that might seem. And on hearing this, Maritana, who was grateful to the queen for noticing her singing in the streets, now willingly gave her consent thinking that even such an unusual marriage as this must be right if it is the royal lady's command. So she allowed herself to be dressed in a wedding robe, and so heavily veiled as to be completely blindfolded, and as soon as she was ready, Don José took her to the prison house, together with the priest. It was now about six o'clock, and they found Don César already carousing merrily with the very soldiers who were to shoot him an hour later. The doomed man was quite in his usual good spirits, and determined to enjoy the last minutes of his life, but the boy Lazarillo was sad and refused to join in the feast. Such a strong feeling of gratitude and love for his generous, light-hearted protector had sprung up within the youth's heart that he could not bear to think of his quickly approaching death, and he longed to discover some means of saving him. As he gazed helplessly round the prison chamber, his eyes fell upon the file of arquebuses leaning against the wall with which the fatal volley was presently to be fired. And at the sight of the dreaded weapons, a sudden thought flashed across his quick brain. Creeping quietly along to the arquebuses, he dexterously managed to extract all the bullets, unnoticed by any of the merry feasters. And then, delighted with this clever trick, he waited an opportunity to whisper to the intended victim what he had done. When the minister entered the room with a trembling, veiled maritana, the revelers received them with gay acclamations, and quickly the bride and bridegroom were led to the prison chapel to be married. Neither could behold the other, because of the thick veil that enveloped Maritana, but Don Cesar inwardly felt that his mysterious bride must be charming and fair to look upon, 
for several long locks of bright hair managed to escape the folds of her scarf, the hand she placed in his was small and soft, and her voice was full of music. And Maritana also was thrilled at the touch and voice of Don Cesar, and when after the ceremony she was hurried away by the exultant Don Jose, she longed for the time to come when she would see her husband face to face, for the cunning minister had told her nothing of Don Cesar's doom, but led her to suppose that she would see him very soon. The hour had now arrived for Don Cesar's execution, and he went forth to his mock death with a gay heart, for by this time Lazarillo had told him of his tampering with the arquebuses, and he knew that all would be well with him. But he decided to go through the whole performance, just as though the guns were properly charged, knowing that this was the only means by which he might yet escape. So, though inwardly full of mirth, he bade a sorrowful farewell to all around him, and when the volley was fired, fell to the ground at once, feigning death. The executioners did not approach to examine the supposed corpse, but returned to the prison immediately, and when they had gone, the bold Don Cesar calmly got up and walked away. Having thus escaped with his life, he determined to find his mysterious bride and hurry from Madrid before recapture became possible. But as, knowing nothing of the pardon that had been accorded him, he dared not show himself in daylight, he kept in hiding until evening, when he issued forth cautiously in search of Lazarillo, whom he knew now to be in the service of the minister. Now Don Jose had laid all his plans with great skill, and knowing that a certain dependent of his, the Marquis de Montefiore, upon whom he had bestowed a remunerative appointment, was holding a grand reception that evening, he decided that Maritana should be introduced to this assembly as the Marquis's niece. Accordingly, when evening fell, he repaired with the gypsy girl, splendidly attired, to the festive scene, and taking her into an anteroom off the salon where the guests were being received, he sent for the Marquis, and informed him that Maritana was his, the Marquis's, long-lost niece. "'But I have no niece,' exclaimed the puzzled Marquis. "'Pardon me, but I say that this lady, the Countess de Bazan, is your long-lost niece,' replied Don Jose firmly and you must introduce her to your guests as such. On hearing this, the Marquis, a weak, foolish person, completely the tool of Don Jose, who made use of him for various unscrupulous purposes, pretended to suddenly remember his new-found relation, seeing that the minister desired him to do so, and after welcoming her with exaggerated effusiveness, he led the bewildered Maritana to the salon beyond to be introduced to his wife and the assembly as his long-lost niece. Don Jose was just about to follow, when a stranger, muffled in the robe of a monk, suddenly entered the anteroom, and to his surprise and dismay, he quickly recognized the handsome features of Don Cesar de Bazan. Alarmed at this unexpected appearance of the man he had hoped and believed was dead, the minister tremblingly asked how he came to be alive. And Don Cesar gaily related the story of Lazarillo's trick, and of his own feigned death, adding, and now I have come to demand my wife, the Countess de Bazan, who, I have been told, is here. For a moment, Don Jose was nonplussed, knowing that if the bold Count took Maritana away now, his own base schemes with regard to the Queen would fall to the ground. But quickly thinking out a plan of escape, he sought the Marchioness de Montefiore, and bringing her into the anteroom, introduced her with much ceremony to Don Cesar as the Countess de Bazan. Now the Marchioness was old, ugly, silly, and frivolous, and when Don Cesar saw that he had been wedded to such an unattractive person, 
He was filled with disappointment and disgust, and gladly agreed to sign a contract suggested by the quick-witted minister to relinquish his wife and quit Madrid forever in exchange for a yearly sum of money paid in compensation. Before the paper was signed, however, Maritana's voice was heard singing in the salon beyond, and instantly recognizing the voice as that of his mysterious veiled bride, Don Cesar, knowing now that he had been cheated, flung the pen away, and angrily declared that he should have his true wife at all costs. At this moment a party of guests, with Maritana in their midst, entered from the salon, and knowing that all would be lost should the husband and wife meet face to face, Don Jose gave orders for the storming count to be instantly arrested by the guards on duty, who dragged him off in triumph. At the same time, Maritana was seized and borne away also, that she might not behold the clamorous stranger, and seeing that she was now growing suspicious of her surroundings and treatment, Don Jose had her carried to a villa belonging to the king, close to the royal palace. Here the young Gitana pined in lonely state for several days, guarded by the youth Lazarillo, for although gorgeous attire and every luxury she could desire was heaped upon her, she felt that all was not well, and that her position was a false one. "'You have made me a countess, and given me wealth and a costly palace, but where is my husband?' she exclaimed anxiously to Don Jose, when after lapse of several days he at last visited her. And the minister replied with a triumphant wave of his hand towards the door, "'He is here!' At the same moment the King of Spain entered the room, for Don Jose had kept his royal master fully acquainted with his movements regarding Maritana, and had now brought him to this gilded prison to amuse himself with the beautiful captive, whose fascinations had so completely enthralled him. Having thus ensured, as he hoped, the accomplishment of the poor girl's dishonor, Don Jose went off to seek an interview with the neglected queen, whom he now expected to convince of her husband's infidelity. But before departing, he gave strict orders to Lazarillo to permit no one to enter the via, and to fire upon any intruder. When the king entered her room, Maritana recognized him at once as the stranger who had admired her in the streets, and the knowledge of his true identity suddenly flashing upon her at the same time, she drew back in surprise and alarm. But Charles advanced eagerly, and taking her hand, began to pour forth passionate protestations of devotion offering her dazzling prospects of wealth and luxury if only she would accept his love. But Maritana was pure, and seeing now into what danger she had been snared, she utterly disregarded the king's protestations, and endeavored to restrain his advances, and presently she was greatly relieved at a sudden interruption, a shot that sounded from the entrance to the via. The king quickly hurried her into the next chamber, and on returning to the salon, found himself face to face with the intruder, who had now made his entry through the window. This was none other than Don César de Bazan, who, having gained his freedom, the chief minister having no power to detain him owing to the king's pardon, had come to demand his wife once more, having learnt that she was shut up within this very via. But on finding a stranger in the salon, he was greatly surprised and alarmed, especially when Lazarillo, who had followed him into the room and recognized him with delight, in a whisper informed him that this stranger was the king of Spain. However, in spite of the difficulties he foresaw, the bold count determined to rescue his unknown bride from the false position in which she had been placed, and to save his own name from dishonor, and addressing the king as a stranger, he serenely demanded his name. Charles, having no idea of the true identity of the questioner, and thinking only of shielding himself from scandal, 
answered in a haughty tone, I am Don Cesar de Bazan, and pray who are you? Instantly Don Cesar, whose keen wit and happy resourcefulness never deserted him for a moment, replied promptly, Oh, senor, if you are Don Cesar de Bazan, why, then I am Charles, King of Spain. The king was so much amused at the quick-witted boldness of the intruder, whom he soon gathered to be the real Don Cesar, that for a short time he kept up the farce. But on seeing that he was known in spite of the name he had taken, he was just about to order Don Cesar's arrest, when Lazarillo appeared again, saying that a messenger had arrived from the palace where his majesty's presence was immediately required. Full of impatience at this second interruption to his love-making, the king hurried from the room, and no sooner had he gone than Maritana entered, drawing back at the sight of another stranger. But Don Cesar, knowing that he was at last face to face with his bride, and full of joy on beholding her wonderful beauty and charm, hurried forward with outstretched arms, and explaining rapidly that he was her own true husband, and declared that they should never more be parted. And when Maritana heard the rich voice of Don Cesar, she instantly recognized it as that of the unseen bridegroom with whom she had knelt at the altar. And since their love was mutual, the husband and wife embraced with great joy. Maritana now begged her husband to seek an interview with the queen, whom she had observed walking in the palace gardens close by, and to induce her to intercede on their behalf. And when he had gone, she knelt at the window to pray for his success. A short time after, the king returned to the salon, having dispatched his business at the palace, and he was immediately followed by Don Cesar, who looked greatly disturbed and began to tell a strange story in excited tones. He declared that he had entered the palace gardens to seek an interview with the queen, when on approaching some thick bushes, he had heard the sound of voices from the other side, and on drawing nearer, had observed Don José de Santarem in close conversation with the queen. Your majesty is being deceived, the chief minister was saying, for the king meets his new charmer in yonder via tonight. He next had declared his own passion to the queen, and had begged her to accept him as a lover in order to avenge herself on the faithless king. But the royal lady had indignantly refused to listen to him, scorning the love he offered. Furious at this proof of the baseness and treachery of the trusted minister, Don Cesar had then sprung forward and challenged him to fight, and in a few moments Don José had fallen to rise no more. Now when the young king thus learnt how nobly his honor had been upheld by the very man whose own good name he was seeking to destroy, he felt heartily ashamed of the unworthy part he had just played, and immediately relinquishing all pursuit of Maritana, he appointed Don Cesar to the governorship of the wealthy province of Valencia as a mark of his gratitude and regard. So the base designs of the unscrupulous minister were at last brought to naught, and Don Cesar de Bazan, restored to favor in a high position, retired with honor to Valencia to live in great happiness with his beautiful bride, Maritana. End of section 51